Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Scaling New Heights podcast. During this episode, we're going to focus on practice planning. We say that practice planning has five key components, people, process, systems, product, and pricing. And we're gonna dive deep into each of these five areas of planning in five subsequent episodes. So this is part one of a six part series. And we tee it all off by talking about the planning process and by providing a level of coverage about people, process, systems, product, and pricing. Now, all six parts of this series are going to be a conversation with two key voices within the accounting community, a developer voice and a practitioner voice. Now, our practitioner that we're gonna have join us for the six-part series is Caleb Jenkins. Caleb Jenkins is an enrolled agent. He's a top 100 QuickBooks Pro Advisor, a Pro Advisor categorical winner. He's the winner of CPA Practice Advisors Top 40 Under 40 within the accounting profession. In 2016, he was a top up-and-comer QuickBooks Pro Advisor, and he's a member of the Intuit Trainer Writer Network, as well as a wide range of other awards he has won, all before reaching the age of 25. The developer voice at the table is Chris Farrell, the CEO of Lysio. Now, as the CEO of Lysio, Chris and his team are reimagining the way that accountants and bookkeepers interact with their clients. But Chris is here today to talk from his expertise in client accounting services and client accounting services workflow and also practice management. So Caleb, let's start with you. What goes into your process to be intentional and strategic for an entire year? Yes, so let's start with why planning is important to me. So I believe that it's important because we need to balance our business, our professional, our personal and spiritual goals. It's all interlinked. It's a holistic planning process. So I, I recently went and took a couple days at the beginning of the year. I believe it's incredibly important to, at some point in the year, set aside some time to do some planning. The benefit of that is that uh, brings a lot of intentionality for the year because you have a plan in place. Does a plan mean that you have to follow it completely? No, but a plan puts something in place that you can always go back to and you can map against and you can determine are you on point or are you off point? If you're off point, maybe the plan was wrong, but you can always go and refocus back towards a plan. The It also gave me the ability to map out what my ideas were for what I hoped to accomplish during this year. So that's incredibly powerful planning process. Again, completely holistic from business, professional, personal, and spiritual. So it's all encompassing from me as a person and me as a practice. Which means when you went into the planning process, you had a strategy in mind and you knew what you were trying to accomplish as a result of the plan, not just the components of the plan, but what you were trying to accomplish as part of the plan. So in many ways, you had a plan for your planning. And, and, and that's what I mean by extreme intentionality. This is a big focus right now at the Woodard organization because we see so many accountants and bookkeepers on the carousel of reactivity. 
where all we're doing is responding to the next email, responding to the next next tax notice, responding to the next deadline, responding to the next time that a client calls us and they're panicked or they have some moment. There is no such thing as an accounting emergency, yet they happen all the time. Why? Because they're manufactured by the client. You have client emergencies, not accounting emergencies. And by constantly being in reactionary mode, by constantly being in first responder mode, we're going around and around and around in the carousel of our clients' needs. And what I, what I hear you saying is, take, take a, take, get off the carousel. Step aside for a second and find out what forward motion looks like and forward momentum looks like. Now, that's a great way then to pull up these five key components. We have people, process, system, product, and pricing. Now, Chris, I want to turn to you because in your resume, you've led many companies and some of those companies have had over 300 employees. So what is your people strategy and how does that fold into your thinking when it comes to your 2020 plan? Thank you, Joe. I think for us, and, and let's start with the elephant in the room for every company, happy employees are the most productive. So we focused on creating opportunity. We look to advance the people we have. And with that in mind, we are hiring a lot of young people. So our people strategy is really focused heavily on personnel development. The second big piece for us is to stay in touch with what each person in the organization wants in their life and in their careers. And I think obviously those two are very much intertwined. So we're looking to have an ongoing dialogue. So my managers, myself, everybody who's in a management capacity, we're looking to have an ongoing dialogue with everyone in the organization. And what we're specifically looking for is the alignment of their abilities and ambitions with the company's vision and the company's organizational needs. And once we find good alignment, we know we're gonna have good success. If we find misalignment, that's gonna signal some issues that we want to address early in the process. Yeah, like the turnover could be one of those, right? And so, so you mentioned goals. Um, how do you set your goals? Do you top down, bottom up? So our process really happens in distinct stages. First, we always start with a vision. Where are we going as a company? Second, we're going to create a draft of our top-down goals to share with the team. The third part is probably the most important part, which is to have the team work on the goals from the bottom up and lay out how they might achieve them. And a lot of times, that might actually even exceed the expectation, exceed what we're asking them to do. And then four, we want to reconcile those top-down goals with the bottom-up goals. And if there's one thing to do here, it's to engage the team. And usually this is going to go one of two ways. Either the team is really going to get behind it. And this is obviously going to happen individual by individual. They're either going to get really behind this effort or they aren't. And the secret to businesses that are going to take off, the secret to businesses that are going to scale up, is that they're finding ways to staff up full of people who want to engage, people who want to make a difference. And so this is when you're going to find out whether or not you have the right people on the bus. All right, so getting people into the right seats on the bus, I agree, is key. And we've been spending the last six months over here at Water going through this process again. We go through it in a cyclical way every, every couple of years. We get everybody to write down what they're currently doing. That visibility is key for the leader because we don't necessarily know all the different things that are happening on the ground game. Then we restructure all of those responsibilities into perfected roles. Maybe we create new roles. Maybe we shape the roles that already exist within the company. Then we assign the roles 
And then we let people take ownership of the roles, many times re-ownership of the roles that they have defined through the process. Next comes the goal setting, which we always do bottom up, but then they are approved top down. And we find that just that creates greater ownership. Once they own the role and they own the responsibility and they own the goal and they own the outcome, we have teams that are highly motivated. So Caleb, I want to come back to you now because roles and responsibilities run on the rails of process. This is the empowerment of the team to fulfill the vision in their role, to meet their responsibilities, to accomplish their goal, and to generate their output. Without process, you cripple your team. And I know you're an expert on process. If process is the rails, what kind of rails does your practice run on? Yes. Yeah, so let me segue back to a comment that you made earlier, Joe, and Chris talked on this as well. But I love the idea of letting your team members set their own KPIs because that allows them to create a deeper sense of ownership. And they might even set those, as Chris said, far exceeding what your actual plan or what you think that they might be able to do. I believe that workflows uh, need to be agreed upon in advance because that creates uh, accountability within the team and then you create owners for that process and those are people that manage that process and make sure that we're following through and completing that process. Um, we do a ton of different things on that. We, we democratize that so that everybody can see on at any glance what our process is in the tax return workflow the accounting workflow etc so that we all know where something is in our firm at any point caleb i want to talk a little bit about the development of the process i have long been a proponent of adopting the technology alongside the development of the process so you develop a chunk that you know the technology won't do like onboarding a client creating an engagement letter, screening a client. But then if you know the technology you're adopting, say accounts payable automation, has its own process, simply let that software technology drive the process. So you have a chunk that you develop that isn't managed by software. You piece that together like Lego blocks with a software solution that has a process. And by the time that you're done, all the Lego blocks are pieced together and you're not having to reinvent the wheel. What are your thoughts on that? Do you agree? Yes, yeah, so I, I mostly agree with that. The thing, the area that I love to, to say is you need to define your processes first. If you don't have a defined process to begin with, you never know what kind of a system you're looking for to fit that process. But once you do find that system that mostly fits your process, you absolutely need to adapt your processes to fit that system because those systems bring a ton of energy to that table. And so you can always, if you're not adaptive, you're never going to be intentional with your actual planning in this process phase of the plan. Brilliant. Let me make sure that everybody listening to this podcast got it because you taught me something right now. I've always said, build it in chunks, put the chunks together like Lego blocks. And if you're dealing with, say, an accounts payable process and you're shopping for an accounts payable automation solution, skip that whole process, put it in a placeholder that says, you know, AP automated solution, 
and then pick up where that one leaves off. What you said is brilliant. No, no, no. Go ahead and write out the process of what it would take to manage payables for a bookkeeping client manually or without the automated solution. Then you let that process inform, but not dictate, because you'll never find an exact match, inform your AP automation solution. Then you adapt the process that you built. So I am going to change the way I present that from this point forward. Thank you, Caleb. You taught me something. Now, since we're talking about software here, I want to go to systems. And and that brings us to the systems that you use in order to manage the process. I get this question a lot. It's a huge decision. Getting a project management and process management solution placed in your practice, high failure rate, what do you use? Yeah, so we don't have necessarily the best system. We're still working on some of that, but we have used Google Sheets for a number of years. Uh, Google Sheets allows us to, as I said, democratize that information so that it's available to all of our team so anybody can see where something is in the workflow. So we have our tax return workflow for individuals, tax return workflow for entities, tax return workflow for whatever process accounting workflow so we can see where something is in the process at any point from an overview perspective. We can filter it, we can see it, um, we can communicate based upon that. So as I stated earlier, we have owners. So primarily myself, we go in there and see where we're at compared to a previous year. We see where we're at and we communicate that with our team so we know uh, where we need to improve where we where we're doing great and we just need encouragement to continue uh, fulfilling our plan okay so google sheets you're saying that you run a tax practice with a multi-practitioner tax practice producing hundreds and hundreds of income tax returns on google sheets so my takeaway from this and the takeaway i want to make sure you get listeners what's more important than the software you use is the process you define. And also, don't miss Caleb's point, that that process is accessible and collaborative. So he is using online technology, and he's using something collaborative and highly visible to all of his team members. But it can be as simple as Google Sheets. And Caleb, I might add, you can tell me if you agree or disagree, that if they select, it sort of gets back to your other thing with the AP automation example, right? If they select the software before they build out the process, that may be an overpurchase. They may hurt themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And and we've we've tried that in the past. And and the problem was is it never it, we it never fulfills our needs because we did not have that process defined in the beginning. So we were always trying to. It was a overkill in that sense because it never met our needs, and so we never saw that case of automation that we were hoping to accomplish by implementing a new piece of software. Okay, so there are a lot of components then to the software that manages the production of the practice. Process is one, client interaction is the other. Now, Chris, I know that you're an expert as a software developer on case management and customer service management, but on top of that, you develop a product that manages cases and customer contacts for accountants. So you're looking at it from both sides of the fence all the time. 
What advice do you have for the accountants and bookkeepers listening in? Sure, Joe. I, I think there are a lot of great options here. And I think if we're thinking about case management, customer service management, it's a very mature space. There are, the options there are going to be really good. So where you guys are honing is really what I would recommend for everybody in the audience. The key is to match the size and complexity of the systems that you're looking at with the size and complexity of your business. And so for most people, that's going to mean keep things simple, keep things low cost. We use Salesforce because we're trying to manage thousands and thousands of accounts. That is not going to be necessarily for everybody. And the complexity that you would take on with a big brand name like that is not going to be worth the amount of money you're going to pay or the pain you're going to take just getting the thing up and running. The number one thing for me is if you're thinking about customer service, you can't go with email. I think a lot of people make that mistake. And the first person you hire, the first email that you miss is going to lead to a big customer problem. And that's going to repeat over and over again, right? So look for something, get something in there that's going to work with your people, work with your processes, and then stick with it. But keep it simple. So keep it simple and make it collaborative, which I'm finding is an undercurrent of everything that we're talking about here in the planning process. Simple and collaborative. So let's turn to product, which is another component of the planning process. Caleb, you're a tax preparer. You're an enrolled agent. Is your product a tax return? So the answer to that is not necessarily. Uh, we transitioned a few years ago from delivering a tax return to delivering a package that includes a tax return and other services. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to be intentional with our clients, not just intentional within our own firm, but help them be intentional with developing and choosing what matters most to them. So there is differences in our packages. We start with the basics and we go to advanced uh, items, but it basically is a puts the control back in their seat and they develop what they want to uh, get from us. But the beautiful thing on our side is that it's all packaged. So we know exactly what we're delivering to our clients. So it's not 100% customized per client, but they believe that they have control over what they are choosing. So they have control over their choice. And their choice is a sounds like a relationship with you is what they're what they're choosing. Uh, so I so I would say you're absolutely I would agree with you after that statement. It is not the tax return. The tax return is part of it. I think what you're selling them, what I'm here you're selling them is a relationship. And for that, they're paying year round. Relationships are non seasonal. The tax return is simply a seasonal event and a larger product. So what does that do to your client's value perception? Yes, yeah, so it, it's, it's incredible because it changes what they, what they perceive that we are providing and it allows them to receive peace of mind, especially for our middle and top tier packages. Uh, be, and it provides uh, them the ability to, to map out what they're going to receive from us. And on the return, it does provide better economics for our firm as well. Yep. Okay, so if, a, if we're more product-minded then, I mean, we're selling products, not services, even if the product is a relationship, now it changes the game, and it changes the game not just on value prop, uh, perception, as you mentioned, Caleb, but on the way we price. 
the strategy behind pricing. So I'm going to turn to someone who prices product for a living. And I want, I want you to tell us, Chris, that you price product and have for your entire career. How can an accountant and bookkeeper learn about pricing a product from a software developer? What do you do? What do you recommend? Well, first of all, I wouldn't necessarily say the current environment of software pricing is a good one. I don't think there's anything sustainable really about it. I think at the same time, every business needs to keep up with the cost of living, right? So we have to have affordances in our profit and loss for rent increases, for paying our staff more, for paying ourselves more. And in my opinion, reasonable and predictable cost increases are far more valuable than uncertainty. And the recent spate of, of increases just for software has created even more uncertainty, right? So building reasonable price increases into your contracts is starting to make more and more sense. And so in my opinion, I think a reasonable plan is just put something small and consistent annually into deals you negotiate. That's gonna make a lot of your life simpler. It's gonna remove a lot of that tension around price increases that everybody has year on year. And it's gonna bring peace of mind to your clients, a big win-win. Yeah, and, and nothing hurts a relationship more than the feeling that you you had a bait and switch moment or that you were misled or that you know we always knew the significant price increase was coming around, but you hid that from me. Um, so you're saying full disclosure on the front side, regular incremental increases, just let them know it's coming. Don't be the cable company roping them in or whatever else the model is that we've seen out there. Um, so Caleb, first, do you agree as a tax practitioner and bookkeeper, should you have pre-scheduled cyclical price increases, maybe annually? And if you agree, how do you manage that in your practice? What are you seeing as the impact of a price increase? Yes, yeah, so there's a couple things built into that. So we recently went through a significant set of price changes in our firm because we wanted to transition our firm. So we, we raised our prices significantly. Uh, you cannot do that every year. Um, you have to, that allows you to provide a transition in your business, but you do need to maintain your predictability from the customer side. And I love that what Chris was saying. So, but we, what was helpful on our side is that provided us the ability to, um, to develop the customer base that we wanted more, more succinctly. And so that was, was beautiful and our revenues went up a little bit, uh, even though we lost some clients. Um, and that was, that was what we planned for. So that was, that was great. But then we come back and we reprice each year based on the facts of the client. So a client is not necessarily going to be in the same scenario. So on the bookkeeping side of phase, the client may double their size of business or triple their size of business in a year we're not just going to increase at 7% from year over year over year. Otherwise, we're just gonna continue drowning with that client. So we need to reprice based on the facts of each client. And this is where I would, I'm still struggling with the idea of subscription model pricing that Ron Baker talks about for the bookkeeping side of things, but I can totally see it on the tax return side of things. Um, 
uh, and uh, all the reasons that Chris gave for reasons for price increases are great. So the cost of living increase, et cetera, those are all great. And our customers, I think, generally understand that if it is presented to them in the right way. So you're saying not necessarily arbitrary, it's just an arbitrary increase based on, on annual increment. That's where you would differ as a practitioner from, say, a software developer Effectively, you're entering a change order based on the evolving relationship you have with the client, the increased workload, the increased value of what you're able to deliver. And then you would kind of get into the Mark Wickersham model of, say, the basic, the medium, and the high. Um, and, and that's a great entry point. But I think my takeaway from you, Caleb, is don't let the entry point product that you price at, low, medium, and high product package, be a fixed price. Because there are always a la carte, there are always add-ons, there are always caveats, there are always variables. It is a starting place, not an ending place. Would you agree? I would agree, yes. Okay. And the other big takeaway I got from your comments there uh, was how it cleaned house. You know, you, you, you organically and naturally worked the clients out of your practice that were dragging your practice down. Now, historically over here, we've called those barnacles on the bottom of your boat. They create dra- drag and they slow things down. But but I like that. And the reason I use the barnacles metaphor is because they're under the surface and they're hidden and, and, and you have to be very intentional if you're going to see them. So you've scraped those off. You've, you've reduced drag. The boat's soaring now um, across the water. And if you, if you do incrementally increase price, you keep scraping that bottom of the boat, which anybody who's a boat owner on salt water knows you have to do about every two years. You scrape the bottom of the boat. All right, so I'm, I'm going to give a couple of big high-level takeaways here, and then I'm going to leave the rest of your comments to the next episodes where we're going to drill down on each individual piece. We're going to drill down in five future episodes with Caleb and Chris on people, process, systems, product, and pricing, a full episode dedicated to each one of those five components of a strategic plan. But Caleb, my big takeaway from you, you're selling relationships. My big takeaway from Chris is he's developing a product that helps Caleb to sell a relationship. And the big takeaway I want you to get, listeners, is you're in the relationship business. And the primary value you bring into that relationship is your knowledge, but your knowledge in a human wrapper. And with that, we're out of time. It's time to close out the episode. Thanks, Caleb. Thanks, Chris, for being with us. Thanks, Joe. It was great to be here today. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Joe. Great to be here. Looking forward to next time. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to this episode of the Scaling New Heights podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Google Play, or on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. And also remember, there are a wide range of resources always available to you anytime at woodard.com.